imposters. They say you took something that belonged to them. And man, they gon' kick your white ass. Imposter, I'm just a middle class worker from Toronto. In spite of how I sound, single one platinum bigger than Molly and Jimmy and Yellowman, but I'm not even mulatto. My reggae's watered down. Hear me on the radio, think I could not be blacker. But on my video, you see I'm really a cracker. Pretending I was a rasta since I was in jammies. I should paint my face and start betting out Mary. You can criticize me all the way to the bank. My single number one and Shabba don't rank. I'm wanna kick dice, be off the label for this in the cops. They said it just ain't right. But when I Caucasian man records a cupping song, they don't have a problem. Must be an oversight. All the Jamaicans think I gave them a bum steer. But everything I know I learned from an auctioneer. The bidding will start at seven for this year. Go get eight, do I hear eight, nine? Who'll give me ten? I got ten, ten going once, going twice sold. I can spot gibberish and it'll go gold. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. A skilly button, dip it up, dip it up the bull. I'm rapping your songs with the best of my ability. You need a black man to increase the credibility. When put on the spot, I side with the rosters. Cause Sean ain't down with no imposter. Imposter, like vanilla ice, the people are sick of me. They put my boom boom down in four months. My butt'll be back in Canada working a day job. I'm with a burger crown. Would you, would you, would you like fries with that? A hot apple pie with that? Just drive around now. Blue tap. Cool running. Ah! Hey, man. You wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you, man? I'm warning you, man. I shot the sheriff. Exodus. Oh, now. Welcome to the Zanzizi Podcast with yours truly, Red Dead 2023, joined in the interwebs with Cromulent Jesse and on our YouTube channel. Check it out. Oh, boy. Yeah, hey, hey. hey, man. How, how are you, dude? How how are you? Um, I'm great. I'm fucking feeling it's it's been a minute since I podcasted. I've been on vacation all this week. Uh, working on vocals for the new glass field. I'm not singing. I'm just helping uh, the singer figure out what he's going to do. But also, like, I don't know. I mean, we're all dudes who were in bands, especially in the podcast circles I <laughs> frequent. It's like every single one of us is was part of a, 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 a band or knew many bands or helped lug gear into a... Uh, Moss Eyes Cantina. I spent like uh, the ages from 15 to about 24 doing nothing but that. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, totally. That's where that's where Hella Greg and I became best buds. And, oh. and we joined a band together. What? Okay. So I don't know this. I This is fascinating to me. What, what did you and what did uh, Greg do in the bands? Uh, we so we both wrote the songs. Okay, we were like collaborative songwriters. Was it like? Uh, a, and he drummed. He drummed, and I sang. Oh, I was gonna say <laughs> that's awesome. I you you have the vibe of a singer. That's cool. But you but Thanks, not, not 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 a good singer. A, a singer that would lug his own microphone. Um, yes, hundred percent. 
SM58 for days. There you go. Uh, dude, <laughs> fuck, that's crazy. So, okay, so he, he, yeah, he's definitely got the conspiracy theorist drummer vibe. I get it now. It's all he, making 100%. Sense. And we were just, we just thought we were going to be the biggest thing in pop punk since Newfound Glory, bro. Aww. Well, you're big in my heart and a lot of people's hearts because your show's coming back in October, right? October? Yes. Hell yeah. Very excited about the October the October comeback, don't you know? Well, <laughs> we've been talking about it for a while, but today's episode, Jim Carrey. Got the soundtrack. Alrighty the- then. There it is. Our generation, Steve Martin, I would say. He uh, I think that's such a that's such an accurate statement. I you know, it's funny because <laughs> When I first got into him would have been when he was on In Living Color. And for me, I remember distinctly, my dad was kind of on the fence with In Living Color. Like, he liked some of the skits, but he he's he was that... He, he's that conservative who can who can vibe to like the Bill Mars of the, of the world, but everything else he's like, no, they go too far. And like, <laughs> In Living Color was that same thing where it's like, I can watch this... I have a friend who's black. This is okay. <laughs> you know? And then 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 all of a sudden Jim Carrey shows up and he's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, oh well, he's no Steve Martin. And that was his uh, thing he would always say. And I was like, well, he's he's my generation, Steve Martin, because he's fucking he was huge, like similar to Oh huge. Yeah. I, I mean like Full disclosure, my first date was to Ace Ventura 2 in middle school. <laughs> That's and, so awesome. Uh, he was, like, for me, it was him and Robin Williams were, like, my favorite, like, funny guys. Uh, I think those are two dudes that it, it's very easy to, like, look up to comedically. Totally. To aspire to be like... And I think a lot of our sense of humor came from that, like kind of like the no holds bar, just like do anything to make your friends laugh. And yeah, it's like just shy of slapstick. Yes, totally. And and you know he he was such a uh, impressionist too. Like in his early standup, it's all like him doing, you know, like Jimmy Stewart and different like old timey kind of impressions that like. For for guys like me, that just, I mean that it's it, it's similar to like when Bill Hader would do his impersonations of say like uh, what's the guy from Mashes? I can't think of the 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 actor off the top of my head. Um, just those 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 kind almost like weirdly ob- obscure, but like so perfect that when you hear them, you just laugh your tits off. Um, yes, and and he even what was great about him is this physicality where, you know, there's this famous clip where he's like, "All right, and now Clint Eastwood," and he just transforms his face like he, it's almost like no matter what he was going to do with his voice, he just was able to contort his face to look just like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and it's just such a such a unique ability. It was I'm sorry, it was Alan Alda. Was oh, okay, it's, okay. It's the Bill Hader one that always makes me like. Like Bill Hader just... is a great one too. Totally, totally. Um, so, what about you? Like, what? How did you? Were you just like me? Was it 
because I think you're you're what thirty four, thirty six. Okay, so you're about yeah. my you're my sister's age ish. Um, me and my I'm the oldest, so I'm forty one. My sister's thirty six. My brother's thirty three, thirty four. Uh, we were all like in love with the dude. Like, uh, yeah, we're hundred percent. We're like the Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, Jim Carrey, you know, quit describing my childhood, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Go, throw Ghostbusters and back to the future in there. And we're fucking done. I don't need anything else. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I did not grow up on living color. I remember, so I had a roommate, um, in the college years who had DVDs and that's how I got to see in living color. So I didn't see in living color until I was an adult. Interesting. Um, but so 1994, which was like, I mean, I'm sure you know this, you yeah. put together the show. That was Jim Carrey's year. Oh, he and I would have been, I would have been seven that year. So in that year we got the mask, Ace Ventura and dumb and dumber. And my parents did not, Censor us. Like we got to basically watch whatever we wanted that wasn't porno. Exactly. And so, and so that year, I mean, I, I got my Ace Ventura VHS taken away for <laughs> for rewinding and replaying the part where he's talking to Tone Loke and he's and, he, and he's talking with his ass and he goes, "Asshole!" Yeah, dude. I'm, dude, that to, to this day, one of just like the excuse me, do you have a mint? <laughs> yeah, <dude>. perhaps some banaka. <laughs> it's like one of my most like it's just infused into my brain. Oh god, it, those three movies would for sure be my introduction, and I don't think I've. I mean, maybe recently I know he's done some stuff that I don't think I've really absorbed, but yeah, between '94 and. I mean, I would probably say 10, 94 to I, 2004 is like perfect era for me too. I and probably saw all of it, if not most of it, in yes. between then, and a lot too. Even the bad stuff. And 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 it's hard for me. This is this is one of those interesting things too, where I I have I have such a high esteem for this guy, especially because I felt like I grew with his career too. Like I was able to like look back on it. And like, at this point I've gone through all of like my heydays, like comedians with my girls who are like, you know, below like between 15 and nine. And like Mm -hmm. their favorite, oddly enough is probably Adam Sandler. Which also, I mean, uh, not too much after Jim Carrey, I would have definitely been walking around going, yeah no and i must have been a very annoying child and when you said you were wearing out your 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 tape of ace ventura i was also wearing out my tape of billy madison so yeah the that era of comedy for me is like hugely inspir- inspiring as far as like my taste and like I still watch Happy Gilmore probably quarterly. Like a year doesn't go by where I don't watch it a handful of times. Again, and and Um, we we do this on the show all the time. It's a future episode, Adam Sandler, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I golf a little bit Mm. and my putter head cover 
in the Price is Right font says, the price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Dude, the the actor, the, the his nemesis from that movie, like, makes bank off cameo just being that character. Oh, why not? And he just, he just probably eats it up, too, enjoys oh, the shit out of it. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. So... Getting into the to the background here a bit. In case anybody didn't know this, he is a Canadian and American actor. Born January 17th, 1962 as James Eugene Carey. G-E-C. Eugene! That's right. That doesn't seem like a very Canadian name, I'm just going to say it. James? Eugene Carey? Eugene. Mm. I think it's just Eugene. For some reason, now that I've been in the South mm-hmm. and I had a grandfather named Eugene, uh, <laughs> who was from Virginia. <laughs> it's an old pappy name. You know, they were given. Yeah, al- although I don't know that I know specifically any Canadian names. Terrence and Philip, maybe. <laughs> Those are pretty Canadian. <laughs> Justin, I guess, is Canadian. I don't know. Uh <laughs> Carey was born in the Toronto suburb of Newmarket, Ontario, Canada, to Kathleen, a homemaker, and Percy Carey, a musician and accountant. He was raised a Roman Catholic and has three older siblings, John, Patricia, and Rita. His mother was of French, Irish, and Scottish descent, and his father was of French-Canadian ancestry. The family's original surname was Carey, C-A-R-R-E. Uh, at age so eight, was that like a switch over when they came came think, to America? I think so. I think it was a little, uh, okay, uh, you can leave your fucking fancy little umlaut-looking markings out of here. We, we, we like our names shortened and able to pronounce, please. <laughs> Welcome to Staten Island, bitch. Um, so at age eight, he began making faces before Amir and discovered a talent for doing impressions. At age 10, Carrie wrote a letter to Carol Burnett of the Carol Burnett Show. Awesome lady. That's pretty cool. She's a, she just, like, turned 90. Good for her. Yeah. Good for Carol Burnett. And, and she and Dick Van Dyke just got to get together and do something, huh? I know. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're still – cart their skeletons out, make them do a jig or something. <laughs> I mean, look, all due respect to these people, I'm, like – I'm all about it. Like 60s being the new 40s or the 20s or whatever it is, whatever the thing is, is if we're living longer and these people can make us laugh. If Mel Brooks can still be out there and be alive, I'm all about them making money. I mean, did you know he secretly produced the movie? I think it was Poltergeist. I don't think I knew that. And I pride myself on being a horror movie wealth of uh, not even horror, just of any one of my favorite genres of anything to watch is like documentaries about the process of making a certain movie, whatever that may be. I just eat that shit up. I wish there was more behind the scenes with Jim Carrey. I watched The Man in the Moon, which I'm sure we'll we can touch on later. But oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What a fantastic documentary that was. It. It's fascinating, you know, especially because, like, obviously he is a character actor type, you know, especially being, like, such an impersonationist. I think that plays into some of the mania that he might have suffered, if I had to guess. And, again, I I don't want to say, obviously, 
if you have mental health issues, therapy is a welcome thing. Seek it out and talk to somebody. Medication is is out and available. I mean, we're in our infancy with with what I believe to be the current mental health level that we're at. I think it's a new thing, but um, people suffer different forms, I think, of PTSD. And his family was, I mean, his early life, it wasn't necessarily like doom and gloom, but he, he came from a very poor upbringing. Like there's a point, right? From what, right? Wasn't his dad like strictly a musician? And when he realized he wasn't going to make enough money, like that's when he became an accountant. And right, right. But it was like kind of a miserable experience, though, because like at at a certain point they were living out of an automobile, and you know, with older siblings and being all tight like that. I mean, it's just. That's just not cool, man. <laughs> I, yeah, that's that's tough. I don't wish people to be poor, you know, and in a world like this where it feels like we have an excess, it it feels better to see everyone taken care of, you know. And I think Canada, uh, specifically at the time, what. I'm not. I'm not necessarily sure what the economic structure was in in Canada at the time. I've been, I have you been to Canada? Uh, I've crossed into Vancouver many many years ago. I've never really got to experience Canada. You're like I've been I to Tim say. Hortons, bro. Okay, yeah, that was like basically it. That was basically it. I like Mike Myers. Hockey's all right. <laughs> uh, but we'll we'll get into more of it anyway. So, like I said, he was a huge fan of Carol Burnett Center. Um, at age ten, Carrie wrote her a letter, pointing out that he was already a master of impressions and should be considered for a role on the show. He was overjoyed when he received a form letter reply. Uh, he was also a fan of Monty Python. Fucking love Monty Python. Whose TV show money? Hey, big big shout out to Carol Burnett or that staff member of Carol Burnett who wrote <laughs> Jim Carrey back, right? What if they didn't? I know, right? The world is a vampire, man. I'm gonna start a <laughs> band. Uh, no, I. You know what? Get big, big ups to anybody who works in any sort of entertainment and takes the time to respond to fan mail. I can't imagine 100%. the Taylor Swift uh, entourage of replies to letters and emails and tweets or whatever. Like those, the, the you you get all types, but like you know, I I try to pride myself as the type of fan who who buys the merch and pre-orders, you know, like indie games or tries to fund 100%. the Kickstarter kickstarters and all that sort of thing or patreons and things like that and like it's it's important to support to support and to acknowledge your fan base and i think that's awesome like even especially in an early time in the 70s i can't imagine um there was much for for 
for replying, especially when somebody was as big as, say, Monty Python. Did you know that Monty Python and Genesis played so- like football together when they, they joined on tour at, at certain points in the 70s? You imagine Phil Collins no and John Cleese running around playing fucking English football? <laughs> oh, you mean soccer? Yeah. <laughs> fucking UK. Uh, I always like to go back to the argument that they originally called it soccer and then changed it later to be pretentious, in my opinion. So They, they do everything pretentiously. Come at the serial chillers, guys. Not <laughs> yeah, that was the opinion. That was the an opinion of Cromulent Jesse. I'm going to drop a deuce. You mean the Lou? Oh, who's, <laughs> who's Lou? Shut the fuck up. Anyways, no, we love you guys. You guys are great. Uh, so Monty Python, uh, he was a fan of Monty Python, whose TV show Monty Python's Flying Circus aired in the 70s. In 2014, Carrie appeared on Monty Python's Best Bits mostly and recalled the, F- the effect on him of Ernest Scribbler, played by Michael Palin, laughing himself to death in the funniest joke in the world sketch. Radio Times states, you'll see why immediately Palin's performance is uncannily Carrie-esque. So it was like an early influence on him was Michael Palin, who, I mean, those guys are all fucking legends in my book. They're they're all hysterical. Yeah, I, I would say I, I probably haven't absorbed enough Monty Python. Like, I've seen Flying Circus. You've and, watched Holy you know, Grail? All of the, Holy Grail, yeah. probably like the mainstays. I've definitely, you know, like when I see a bumper sticker that says your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries, you know, like it, it, I get a chuckle. I think coconuts and, you know, like I, I see it. But when you like the deep dives, I feel like there's so much there that I need to go back. and. It's, it's really and, not and, that much. I mean, like you, I would say Life of Brian, watch Life of Brian, watch Holy Grail and watch the, the TV show, like the, the old TV show. Uh, the, the skits are awesome. And um, but I mean, like, really, Holy Grail is the Holy Grail of the Monty Python stuff. I mean, I if 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 anybody wants to know where I get my French impression, it's John Cleese, you know, taunting King Arthur on top of the castle. Like, you know, I believe the last time we were together, there were a lot of French actors. There was. And that that's an (laughs) excellent uh, reference to our Napoleon Bonaparte episode doing quite well in our in our downloads so if you haven't checked it out check it out and check out serial chillers you goof so well i have to be honest i am not surprised that this episode this is performing well <laughs> I, I would get to that but i am smoking too many cigarettes i, fell when I close my eyes it's like i'm here with john cleese <laughs> exactly uh in a um so, okay, so Carrie spent his early years in in, a, in the borough of Scarborough, Ontario, part of metropolitan Toronto, where he attended Blessed Trinity Catholic Elementary School in New York, North York. His family later moved to Burlington, Ontario, where they would spend eight years. Jim attended Aldershot High School while there. Uh, sometime later, his family became homeless and lived together in a Volkswagen, Volkswagen van while teenage Jim and his brother spent months living in a tent in Charles Daly Park on the Lake Ontario shore in Lincoln, Ontario. Damn. I mean, not to make light of it, 
But if you're going to stay in a vehicle, that's, that's probably the one, right? I mean, the German engineering, it goes a long way, guys. I'm just saying. Vehicles. I always wanted a Jetta. That was my high school dream car was to get a Jetta. and just. They were pretty popular. Pretty popular. I do remember that. I do remember a lot of Jettas in the parking lot. You, see, you know, uh, the living in a tent thing, I had a... Let's say a buddy. He was a guy I knew who chose that life, uh, the living in a tent. And he was like, a, you know, ah, I just go to this park for a while. They kick me out. I go to this one. You know, I sometimes I'll do it in people's backyard. But I, it's hard for me to imagine uh, being high school age and my parents being like, hey, it's the only option. Right. Or now that, you know, we are fathers ourselves getting, getting to that and being like, all right, kids, listen, uh, only two of you can stay in the car tonight. Two of you got to go camp at the park. Well, if I, I'm basically less than a uh, gum under someone's shoe if I don't know the Wi Fi password or have Cheez Its on hand for my kids. So, yeah. like, <laughs> like, let alone homeless. Like, at this point, I mean, right. to make ends meet, you know, obviously I do I do fine, even though, you know, single dad living out here, but I've got a, an amazing partner and my, my beautiful girlfriend, and it's, life is good, but, but yeah, it's, like, to live in a vehicle, like, to, it's just, it's, it's such an interesting contrast knowing his life timeline to see, to say, go from basic like destitute homelessness to like a million multi-millionaire you know and it's almost like it takes that you know like you got to get that low to get that high exactly well and that's all life's lessons are really taught that way anytime i've ever pushed myself hard in life it's because of basically hitting some sort of like a ooh, this could go real bad if I don't change my tune or like start fucking eating some more honey nut Cheerios instead of having uh, McGriddles every day in the Navy or like actually getting on a treadmill or you know like it, there's some truth to taking care of yourself, folks, mentally and physically. But this guy had a hell of a rise in. Uh, his early impressionist work in Toronto, Carrie's first stand-up comedy experience took place in 1977 at the age of 15. With his father... That's a, that's a, that's a pretty uh, tough time to get on stage for the first time. Like, I was probably never more insecure than between the ages of, like, 14 hey, and hey, 17, you know? Hey, it's me, Jesse. <laughs> I just see... There's so many pimples. I just, just see... Such a pizza face. Just, just yeah, just pizza face. You know, Jesse outside, and right next to a trash can is Greg, just popping his head out. I think the problem was less cracking, more that I got like my full adult voice at fourteen, but my body didn't match it. So I like walked up looking like a child, was like, "Hey, everybody, how's the evening going?" Like, what the is fuck that, did you just say? Hey, is that our substitute teacher? <laughs> I don't even already have, had gray in the beard. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even have pubes yet. Uh, it's okay. I didn't either. It was a weird. Uh, yeah, the fifteen is a fucking weird time, man. Yeah, um, it takes a lot to get up there and just put it all on the line. Yeah, totally. And big up to him for like having that. 
At 15, with his father trying to help him put together a stage act, driving him to downtown Toronto to debut at the recently opened Yuck Yucks Comedy Club, operating one night a week out of a community center. The 519's basement on Church Street. For the performance, Carrie had his attire a polyester leisure suit chosen by his mother who reasoned that's how they dress on the Dean Martin celebrity roast. <laughs> Dude, like, despite the downfalls and the tough times, mm-hmm. does seem like he's got a pretty solid set of parents. Oh, totally. Based on, like, not only what you said, but, like, what I know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they were, you know, obviously his dad was an artist and he supported that art. So it's just even cool to hear, like, Oh, his dad drove him to, my dad was like, Hey, here's your baseball bag. It's two miles away. You're going to want to start now. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Fuck Kentucky, by the way. Just kidding. Uh, anyway, no. So, but no, totally. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Big ups to parents who, who support you in your, in your goals. And this yeah. was this was a thing for him. Uh, pubescent Carrie's conventional impersonations bombed, proving ill-suited for a club with a raunchy comedic sensibility and giving him doubts about his potential as a professional entertainer. Decades later, recalling Carrie's stand-up debut, Yuck Yuck's owner Mark Breslin described it as bad, rich, little. His family's financial struggles made it difficult for them to support Carrie's show business ambitions. But eventually, the family's financial situation improved, and they moved into a new home in Jackson's Point. With more domestic stability, Carey returned to the stage in 1979 with a more polished act that led to his first paid gig, a 20-minute spot at the Hayloft Club on Highway 48 in Scarborough for reported uh, $20 compensation on a bill with the mother of Pearl performer from The Pig and Whistle. He soon faced his fears and went back downtown to the site of his debacle from two years earlier, Yuck Yucks, that had, in the meantime, moved into a permanent location on Bay Street in the fashionable Yorkville district. In a short period of time, the 17-year-old went from open mic nights at the club to regular paid shows, building his reputation in the process. Now, parallel to his increasing local Toronto area popularity as an impressionist stand-up comic, Carey tried to break into sketch comedy, auditioning to be a cast member for the 1980-81 season of NBC's Saturday Night Live. Boy, I bet they're wishing... Yeah, I heard that he he gave it a couple shots trying to get onto SNL. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was that early, though. Yeah, 80-81. I mean, we're talking pre-Sandler. That's post. That's uh, like within the first like ten seasons of the show, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Because I think it's like seventy-five, seventy-six was when they started. Okay. Because I know very early Chevy Chase was like season one, and then he was out, and then (coughs) Steve Martin comes in soon after. Because I know they had the Who on there, and then I think Keith Moon dies early eighties. So Steve Martin's in there somewhere. Which is interesting, like, my dad would have been watching for Steve Martin, and then he'd be like, who's this fucking new guy? This Dean Martin suit on. Uh, But, so, uh, basically, Carrie ended up not being selected by the show's new executive producer, Gene Domanian, who picked 31-year-old Charles Rocket instead. I have never. Yeah, who? Who? Yeah. (laughs) 
Exactly. Decades later after establishing... stupid right now, Gene. Yeah, exactly. Decades later after establishing himself as a Hollywood film star, Carrie would host the show in May 1996, January 2011, and October 2014. After not getting Saturday Night Live, Carrie took a voice acting job performing clutch cargo-inspired bits on the all-night show and overnight programming uh, program airing locally on the CFMT... TV channel branded as multilingual television or MTV. That's like <laughs> oh MTV. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no, that's the that's, yeah, that's, like, that's a little too wild for us up here in Canada. <laughs> so what we got here? Some kids' cartoons. We just run them all night, huh? We got uh, this guy in his leisure suit. He comes in here. He's got a real stretchy face. This kid. He's great. <laughs> What what wonderful pieces of lost media those probably are, right? Like, what, oh, totally. like can we can we see the cartoons that well the, Jim Carrey did voiceovers for in the early '80s in Canada? Like the first couple movies he was in, and and you can tell it's it's not his starring vehicle. He's just getting like acting work at the time. Like they tried to bump those fuckers up big time. Like when it, it he hit superstardom, like. I remember initially when I would go to like Blockbuster Video or like IM Video, which is in my area, I would look for like what anything Jim Carrey when it would come out. And there were a few like like ski boob comedies he was in. There's like a made for TV movie that he was in. I think he played like a, a, a gay teen or something like that. My mom actually recognized him when I started ranting about him because like one of his first performances was uh on this like i said made for tv movie which i'll bring up here later but like he there was there was some real like early like acting chops that he showed too and i think anybody who's got like i i always say this like i i get excited when like my comedic comedic idols do do dramatic roles especially like sandler like robin williams jim carrey has undoubtedly my favorite dramatic role that any of my comedy heroes have done uh i, I feel like uh, i like to throw bill murray into that a little oh, older yeah. probably of the generation before but god damn it his dramatic I, roles are just amazing or uh, it, you yeah. know and it, it's it's like um him and uh of of his era like when you see Steve Martin do dr- drama. He hasn't, like, he's really great in comedy. Like, The Jerk is one of my favorite comedies of all time. But, like, I don't know if he's necessarily been given something with some some real chops. Uh, write to us or recommend to the Instagram or on anyone. I know he's got a, a newer show that people, I've, I've heard really good things about. It's awesome uh, because I, him and Martin Short are fucking dynamite together. And Martin Short. See, I have a hard time with TV shows. Basically, I'll start watching them when they're canceled. That's usually like that's how I like to absorb TV now. I just watch movies until I find a show where like, yeah, it went for four seasons and got canceled. I'm like, yes, yeah, I get that. <laughs> now um, I have a TV show to watch. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's some shows that I'm in. Like I've been watching The Bear season one, and now season two is done. That show I like because it's not like those thick hour hour and change it's like 30 minute in and out like i can i can i can fit those in especially at bedtime with the lady but uh yeah 
I'm I'm just too busy watching Crime and Jesse on Twitch, which you should watch. Just, yeah, that's twitch.tv slash Cromula Jesse. Ooh, baby. <laughs> All right. You know what? I, I, I sorry. I, I oh, just thought ahead. of this too. A movie my mom liked a lot was uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's like a good And that was pretty early for him too. I was just looking it up. I was like, when was that? That was 1988. Yeah, yeah. And you've got a youngish uh, Jeff Goldblum in there too. Exactly. Are you dressing? What handsome dudes they were. Oh, God. Yeah. Especially Jeff Goldblum, that era. That's like the hunkiest he gets. That, yeah. Little little Gina Davis. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I forgot that it was Damon Wayans, too. It's Damon Wayans, Jeff Goldblum, Jim Carrey. What a. I need to just watch this again. Yes. I feel like this is uh, rewatchable. Yes. Yes, my dude. Yes. It'll hold up purely out of nostalgia. Oh, totally, totally. Um, continuing to perform his stand-up act of contortionist impressions in the city of Toronto and surrounding towns, in February 1981, 19-year-old Carrie was booked as the opening act for the rock band Godo at the Roxy Theater in Bari for two shows on consecutive nights. The rock crowd booed him off stage, and he refused to return for the second night. Two weeks later, however, a review of one of Carrie's spots at Yuck Yuck. We just want some fucking metal. I know. Shut up. I think it was Kurt Cobain had some Nirvana shows where he booked, uh, uh, what's it, Bobcat Goldthwait to open. And it was the same thing. Like, we just want fucking Kurt Nirvana. This sucks. Come on, guys. I'm just trying to tell you a couple jokes up here. (laughs) Yeah, guys. I can't do him. Uh, but I think um, I think Mitch Hedberg has a joke about how he opened for a rock band and, yeah. it, and it went terribly. Yeah, it's like, and and the thing is, like, rock bands love comedians. Like, uh, Tool, like Maynard, was a huge fan of um, what's his name who died from cancer um, that everybody copies. He's always referenced. I, I, I can't, damn, I always hate this when I bring up comedians and I can't think of their names. Um, Guy used to smoke all the time. Uh, I want to say I, it's not Bill Burr, but he's um, he was like ahead of his George time. Carlin. Uh, George Carlin is one of those. But uh, yeah, like it's hard. It's it, he 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 was amazing. And like, yeah, like I said, Nirvana. Kurt, Kurt was a huge fan of Bobcat. And like I, I love the the idea of it seems great. Like get some yucks in before before the metal band gets up there, but like the general rock going public is <laughs> they just want to watch, you know, Tiffany sway her hips to girls, girls, girls and watch the crew and watch Tommy do some fucking barrel rolls in his drum set. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I get it, but uh, unfortunately he had a rough time doing that, but, uh, alongside a sizable photo of him doing a stage impression of Sammy Davis Jr. appeared in the Toronto Star on the front page of its entertainment section with the writer Bruce Blackdar raving about a genuine star coming to life. So during his lull there after the rock concert, he got a front page on the Toronto Star. Save for a brief mention in the Barry Examiner, it was the first time Kerry received significant mainstream corporate media coverage, and the glowing praise in one of Canada's highest circulation dailies created demand for his impressionist stand-up 
act throughout the country. In April of 1981, he appeared in an episode of the televised stand-up show An Evening at the Improv. That summer, he landed one of the main roles in introducing Janet, a made-for-TV movie that premiered in September of 81 on the CBC drawing more than a million viewers for its first airing in Canada. He's starting to get like... I love that he just kept charging. He was like, all right, I got shit on at at that rock show. Okay, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, what's next, baby? The rock band G- Godo, which sounds like a slow version of like a a pig guard in Star Wars. Uh, Godo had a little too much grog on duty. He's also chewing on his <laughs> he's chewing on the wall thing. Uh, so on the CBC. He drew more than a million viewers, as he said. Playing a struggling impressionist comic, Tony Maroney, it was Carrie's first acting role. The CBC promotion the movie had received, as well its subsequent high nationwide viewership, further solidified the youngster's comedic status in the country. By the time the movie finished its CBC run of repeats several years later, its title for the home video release on VHS was changed to Rubber Face, and I, I was duped into that. Like I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is um, this is a movie he did. It's called Rubber Face, and he he looks like a baby on it because obviously he was like he was like 20 and below at the time. So it's like you know you want to get as much carry as you possibly could at the time. But that's the thing. Like now, in in retrospect, in that era, like. I, and we're going to get to it, but I'll just say it. Like, Dumb and Dumber is, like, legendary for me. Like, it... I laughed... The All whole... three of those 1994 movies, like, I feel like they're near comedy perfection. Like, if yeah. you want to have something that antithesizes that, like, mid-90s, over-the-top comedy, just you could just take all three of those movies. It's, there you go. It's perfect. Like, it's... Yeah. It's... I have, it's like, yeah, you know, like you could say like the, there's some gross out humor, but it's not like over the top. It's, it's, it's just the perfect balance. Like there's all, it's, it's everything. I mean, the mask is like a fantasy, but also a comedy. Dumb and Dumber is like, it, to me, it's the it's my favorite of the three. Like I've probably watched that in the range of like fifty times in my life, and that's that's not even a gross like over num overdone number. It's like not even being hyperbolic. Yeah, you've exactly. gone through fifty straight times, and you, you like you know it. You've yeah, seen it. I've seen it so many times, and I've done imp- like I literally when I'm at um. If I'm at a gas station and somebody's getting a fountain drink, I'm like, big gulps, huh? You big gulps, like, huh? <laughs> well, see ya. All right. I've been saying, see you later. Well, well, yeah. I've been saying like that my whole life since I saw that movie. Um, so, so like I said, he's, uh, he's doing some serious CBC numbers. Carrie was noticed by comedian Rodney Dangerfield, who signed Carrie to open his tour performances. Which is a big deal. This looks like the kind of hat that comes with a bowl of soup. Yeah, I fucking love Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, so good. By December 1981, a well-known comic in Canada, Toronto Star reported about Carrie waiting for a United States work permit, having received interest from Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, largely off his reputation from Canada. 
in the early. All right. I, is, these are these are big. Rodney Dangerfield and uh, Tonight Show. Yeah, like those are some up in Canada. They're like, oh, good boy, land. This local boy is doing real good by us here. I think we got ourselves <laughs> a real star. Um. In the early part of 1982, the year of my birth, Carrie reportedly performed for the Tonight Show bookers Jim McCauley and Bud Robinson as part of the program's audition process for stand-up comic spots. However, rather than being booked on the show, Carrie got advice to further hone his act, so he went back home to the Toronto area where he had already built a significant following. Touring venues throughout North America as the opening act for Rodney Dangerfield, Carrie made a stop at home in Toronto on 19 June 1982, performing two sold-out shows at Massey Hall. Like, that right there, like, if I met somebody who literally, the stories he already has at this point in his life, I would just listen and be, like, silent and just in awe. Like, and Massey Hall is like a pretty legendary venue, if I'm not mistaken. Like one of my favorite, like super chill out albums is a a live Neil Young album at Massey Hall. Well, it's a yeah. it's a performing arts theater in Toronto, opened in 1894. So it's Neil like, Young's Canadian too, is right? <laughs> sure, <laughs> come on, so. he's Canadian. Just give give him give him, give him to him. Yeah, sure. Uh, fuck, Neil Young is an interesting guy. I There's some great Neil Young stuff. Um, so here we go. This is the ramp up to Hollywood. So in 80, early 83, Carey decided to move to Hollywood where he began regularly performing at the Comedy Store. Getting on The Tonight Show became his immediate career goal, and by spring of 1983, he appeared to have achieved it after getting booked for a stand-up set on the highly rated Late Night Show. However, a lukewarm club set at the Improv got him unbooked. Though struggling to replicate his success in L.A., Carey continued being a big hit in his hometown Toronto, where he returned during late April 1983 to perform at the short-lived B.B. Magoon's theatrical venue on Bloor Street. <laughs> I love that. Uh, B.B. It Magoon made you on... giggle. <laughs> it made you giggle, and then your giggle made me giggle. <laughs> And so that's just that's just that's just good comedy right there. I hope. Oh, you're telling me you have a comedy store whose name makes you laugh? That's perfect. BB Magoon's on Bloor Street. <laughs> like, yeah, don't. They I, knew what they were doing. I got a big set on Bloor Street. I had a. Oh, uh, where where at on Bloor? Ah, oh, BB Magoon. <laughs> you ever been? No, but I great pizza, BB McGoon. No, but I opened up for Gadon. Ugh. Good lord, these names. It's like and, and, and it's, Oh, that was you. I was there. I was the one saying, get off the stage. <laughs> oh fuck. All right, so Ugh. Three consecutive nights he played on Bloor Street at B.B. Magoon's. While in town, CTV's flagship news magazine program, W5, did a feature on Carrie that aired nationally in Canada. Back in L.A., within months, he landed the main role on The Duck Factory, a sitcom developed by NBC. And in late November 1983, still got to debut his impressionist act on The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson. So that's a big deal for the guy. Gold met. Yeah. 
Uh, for he's like, I'm going to get out here. I'm, I'm getting on the Tonight Show, and it took basically not very long. No, and, and like set a, new, set a new goal. And, and you know what? There's no issue with going home and doing a couple of laps, getting in with like the guys. I, I'm sure the guys at BB Magoons were going to tell him, <laughs> you can't. Not necessarily your yes men, but you're like your, your hometown buddies, like the guys you go to when you're like, hey, I need your honest opinion. Like, is this? Yeah, the guys who will who will just shit on it until you get it right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And for me, that's Larry. So, anyway, yeah, I was gonna say, Greg and I always said, like, when we'd pitch each other ideas, the whole if I'm gonna pitch him an idea, he knows that I want him to poke holes in it mm-hmm. until it holds water. Or I'm like, nah, fuck, that was a really bad idea. All right, okay, all right, we'll we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Oh boy. So anyway, so basically he has this huge appearance and it ends up being um airing nationally and in the United States on the same uh so in the meantime he was cast for a supporting role in the Warner Brothers comedy production Finders Keepers shot in the Canadian province of Alberta during late summer of 1983 for his tonight show appearance that aired on American Thanksgiving 21 year old Carrie went through his most popular impressions Elvis Presley Jack Nicholson Bruce Dern Clint Eastwood Charles Bronson Michael Landon James Dean E.T. the extraterrestrial and Charles Nelson Riley who yeah, I can see all those. Yeah, well, Charles no, Charles Nelson Riley. In case anybody was curious who that was, he was a American actor, comedian, director, and drama teacher known for his comedic roles on stage, film, and television. He was also a Hollywood Squares guy and very. Uh, he was open about his homosexuality, but he was also. Uh, for those Sid and Marty Croft fans out there, he was on quite a bit of H.R. Uh, Puff and stuff and Lidsville and all those silly 70s, like, almost like Muppet knockoff shows. Um, he did all of these characters from characters from My Three Sons, Kermit the Frog, and Miss Piggy in rapid succession. So he's kind of a Robin Williams-esque kind of thing. After completing his set, Though getting the okay gesture from Carson, the impressionist comic was notably not waved over by the host to join him on the couch, a usual indication that while sufficiently pleased, the powerful host was probably not ecstatic about the performance. The end of 1983 saw Carrie go back home to Toronto once more for a publicized New Year's Eve performance at the Royal York Hotel's Imperial Room. Wow. Really quickly, if I can go back just a second. Totally. Of all of his, of all of his, like moments where he probably, like, was like, damn, am I good at this? Because, like, you know, if, if you're a comedian, you're like, well, what do these guys at a rock concert know about comedy? They were there to see rock music. They're mad, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I bombed in front of a bunch of drunk dudes. Like, oh, fuck them. But he was probably wanting Johnny Carson to wave him over so hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he might even have been ready to take a step, and then mm-hmm. all right, well, have a good night. Yeah, that's tough. That was that was probably a, a big gut punch moment. Yeah, totally. And you know, it's it sucks because he's he know he's feeling there's there's this weird thing, this contrast between confidence and ego, and 
you don't want to have the ego take over. You want to be confident in what you're doing and you want to be selfless and, and a caring individual. So I, I've always seen Carrie as like overall very caring. And um, it, I think for him, it's more about like, it's more about acceptance too. And comedians tend, tend to be, a lot of them tend to be very narcissistic, but I, I don't get that sense with him overall. Like I think overall he cares about everyone uh, especially like his roots and his family and everything. Like he, I think even the, if he conveys it in a very unique and artist like way mm-hmm. these days, cause yes. right. That's why he's, he's definitely become very like introspective. And, yeah. Like he, um, he's had, a, he's had a life. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if much like, uh, what we're getting to in the 90s when he played um, when he did his man on the moon role if there ends up being somebody doing a Jim Carrey biopic about him you know what I mean yeah um, how better that will be yeah this, this actor who was playing Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman got yeah. stuck in the role man yeah and, and that scene will be in it like the doc that was about it I mean yeah, totally. Um, so, fast forwarding a bit, he was in a. He got the starring role in Once Bitten, shot in early 1985, developed by the Samuel Goldwyn Company. Carey would continue getting film roles throughout late summer and early fall 1985. He shot a supporting part in Francis Ford Coppola's Peggy Sue Got Married, which went into long post production process. In parallel, he decided to try out for Saturday Night Live again, this time ahead of the show's 85-86 season, being prepared by returning executive producer Lorne Michaels, who was looking to hire an all-new cast. Five years removed from his previous SNL audition, 23-year-old Carrie was rejected again, reportedly never even getting the chance to audition his material. He had a post- They didn't even give him a chance? I know! You know, it's, I get it though, because I, and this is coming from a huge Jim Carrey fan. I mean, I'm doing an episode on him. So with a friend who is also a fan, like we are fans of this guy, but I'm saying I get the remarks that I hear from people who aren't necessarily Jim Carrey fans that he can be almost that it's almost too much. Like yeah, I, I I definitely know people who you know I'll be like oh we must watch Age Ventura and they're like yeah let's maybe we could do uh, something different. It's kind of that everything in the kitchen sink approach. Yeah, and it's it's something I hear I hear people who necessarily get overwhelmed by say a Robin Williams as well. I get that, but to me it fuck it works. I love it so. Um, in 86, Carey auditioned for, uh, he again auditioned for SNL's upcoming season, season, his third attempt at getting on the ensemble sketch comedy show, finally third, managed, third time to charm. Yeah. Right. Finally managing to perform for the show's executive producer, Lauren Michaels at a Burbank studio with returning cast members, Dennis Miller, John Lovitz and Nora Dunn also watching the audition. Carrie was rejected again. Among the group of hopefuls auditioning alongside Carrie on this occasion were 
Dana Carvey and Phil Hartman, both of whom were hired. Both, uh, I mean, those are Rick excellent. Phil Hartman. Yeah, R.I.P. Holy shit. That's, uh, that, that could be an episode in and of itself, too. Yeah, his story is... Uh, it's a cautionary one. He's legendary. Um, sensing that doing only impressions was turning into a career dead end, Carrie set out to develop a new live comedy act, much to the dismay of comedy club owners booking him. He began abandoning trademark celebrity impressions, opting instead to try adding observational and character humor to his comedic repertoire, a process that often involved forcing himself to improvise and scramble in front of dissatisfied live audiences that came to see him do impressions. From 1990 to 1994, Carey was a regular cast member of the ensemble comedy television series In Living Color, which I started this episode off. You didn't hear it. You'll hear it when the episode goes up uh, with his informer slash imposter video that he did parroting Snow's informer on In Living Color, which is fucking hysterical. Uh, His In Living Color skits are legendary. While short-lived, the popularity of this series helped him to land his first few major roles. We're into 1994, folks. Carrie played the lead role in Ace Ventura Pet Detective, which was released February 1994 and went on to gross $72 million in the U.S. and Canada. Following its success and before the release of the next film, The Mask, which was anticipated to be another hit, Morgan Creek Productions paid him $5 million to reprise his role as Ace Ventura, and New Line Cinema offered him $7 million to make a sequel to The Mask and paid him $7 million to appear in Dumb and Dumber, a nearly tenfold increase on his salary for Ace Ventura. The, Ma- the Mask, released in July 1994, grossed $351 million million worldwide so beautiful also really quickly can i just say that with ace ventura you also got a tone loke originally written for the movie song it rolled over the credits that's where it starts with jim carrey saying tone put on that big ass size 13 and kick it for the homies (laughs) (sighs) <sighs> I, I used to play those credits a lot too just for that song yeah it's good it's it's good front to back that, it, I, that's how I learned who Tone Loke was that, you know what <laughs> it's because of it's because of Ace that I knew who Cannibal Corpse was um, oh yeah they're the playing in the club yeah yeah uh, Dumb and Dumber, released December 1994, was another commercial success, grossing over $270 million worldwide. That's a billion dollars. He's already pushing a billion dollars. Yeah. Carey received his first Golden Globe Award nomination for Best Actor for his work in The Mask and was voted second on Quigley's Top 10 Money-Making Stars poll behind Tom Hanks. You're biting wow. into the fucking... Good list to be on. Forrest Gump's fucking coattails carrie portrayed the batman villain the riddler in the joel schumacher directed superhero film batman forever i was i actually really like that performance it's over the top it's super fun though i yeah like the riddler is over the top yes like i think it like they that's it was perfect that maybe it's not the best batman movie ever but i totally batman (laughs) did you say i'm counting on it i love his performance 
I actually think they could take him and have him be like an old Riddler in one of the new Batmans, and it would be super fun. Um, the film received mixed reviews, but was a box office success. He reprised his role as Ace Ventura in Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, My First Date. Uh, she kissed me. She touched my leg. It was fun. Nice. Um, nice. Like the original film. I love that Ace Ventura When Nature Calls drops the following year. They're like, fuck, Ace Ventura was good. Let's go. We got to get let's another go. one out there. Let's, just, let's go while it's still just, hot. There, and there's so many lines from that. And you must be the Monopoly guy. <laughs> Do not pass gun. Do not collect $200. <laughs> like, there's so Anytime many- there's a projector up, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I hold silver away. Yeah, I love that movie. This is a lovely room of death. Um. <laughs> He's driving down the African highway and he's just bouncing all over the cab of the car, pulls out. He's just on the smoothest road you could possibly imagine. I don't care what the critics say. That movie's fucking hysterical. And when he's in the rhino sweating his ass off and then the family sees him and they think the rhino's giving birth. Warm. (laughs) Even there's just even like little moments where like he's going into like uh, finally approach the like main hunter the consulate guy mm-hmm. and he he had watched the trainers training the elephant so when he walking in he goes like down bubba and he just sits down on the consulate's car <laughs> like every little moment that's where he like flips out of the forest too just like 10 times yeah the car just like falls apart he lands it like a glove yeah chicago um <laughs> Kerry became the first actor to be paid $20 million for his next film, The Cable Guy, directed by Ben Stiller. The film was a satirical black comedy in which Kerry played a lonely, menacing cable TV installer who infiltrates the life of one of his customers, played by Matthew Broderick. I, I remember legitimately being like borderline afraid of Jim Carrey after this role. Yeah. It's because a- it like when you say black comedy, it's black and dark. It's very it is dark. a dark film. And like, think about it. For me, 1996. I'm still only nine. I'm, I'm not. You know, I'm figuring things mm-hmm. out. I know he's a real guy who's playing a character, mm-hmm. but I'm also still like, whoa. Uh, That's kind of scary, man. It was. It it still did pretty good. It grossed 102 million worldwide, which isn't shabby, but critics kind of panned it. They said it was the tone was too different. I love it. I think it's a fun movie now. Um, he went on to star. He bounced back basically with Liar Liar in 1997. Great movie. Fucking hilarious movie as well. Playing Fletcher Reed, an unethical lawyer rendered unable to lie by his young son's birthday wish. Carrie was praised for his performance, earning a second Golden Globe Award nomination for Best Actor. It's also a movie that I quote a ton, yes. including, I don't know if you remember when he gets his car impounded and they charge him just a shit ton. And he's like, how do you sleep at night? And he reaches in and takes the air freshener and goes, I'm taking this. I, every time I walk up to somebody that I'm going to say, I'm going to go, I'm taking this. I need sleep at night. That's literally one of my favorite parts of the whole movie because it, <laughs> it reeks of Carrie improvising it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You can tell because it wasn't until I saw like the behind the scenes of 
Dumb and Dumber and and heard and found out that that whole sequence where he's like, "Do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world?" Like that was all improvised. And it makes so how how Jeff Daniels and the other dude hang on then is beyond me. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. And and some of his greatest like like and then that again we're we're quoting him all the time, but like whenever something goes wrong in my life, I literally go through the. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Like I say that all the time. Um, uh, I, I I also always say, you know, along the lines of, you know, give someone two or three of their fuck ups yeah. and say, and then you came along and did something like this and, and totally redeem yourself. Yes. yes. I was a retail manager for like fifteen years, so that was like a good way to. Yeah, you know, yeah. break the ice with, with a lot of people. Oh, totally, totally. And in our age bracket, like the thirty-five to forty-four age bracket, like that's an immediate way to get somebody to light up and turn around and, and like give you that, give you that, uh, yeah, give you that. We speak in movie quotes. <laughs> yeah, give you the slow. That's nod our generation, give. baby. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. All right, so liar, liar was a big deal. Um, New York Times said about his performance well into his tumultuous tumultuous career Mr. Carey finally turns up in a straightforward comic vehicle and the results are much wilder and funnier than this mundane material should have allowed now we're getting into his critical acclaim period from 98 to 2007 this is according to the Wikipedia the following year he decided to take a pay cut to play the serial comic role of Truman Burbank in the satirical comedy drama film The Truman Show this movie is fucking awesome. Like, yeah, I, it's like it's 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 what he probably wanted the cable guy to be, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, you're not coming to see me be hilarious. You're coming to see a great movie, right? And it's almost like the cable guy prepared him for it, mm-hmm. and then everybody was like, "Oh, whoa!" And this is this is a movie. I, I it's. It, it was unlike anything I had seen before. And at the time there was like a Matthew McConaughey movie that came out that was like the same type of thing. But the idea of somebody, a reality show that was an entire human's life. And it was pre YouTube, pre all the shit that we're dealing with now. And it's, it's super prescient to today. It's phenomenal. And in a way, the ending, I love the ending. You've got um, amazing supporting cast. It, it's a phenomenal movie, and he won the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for this. But did not receive an Academy Award nomination. The fuck? Yeah. It's like that Johnny Carson uh, way over just, thing. <laughs> just seems like the kind of actor who would get snubbed you know like like ah he'll do something dumb when he gets on the stage you know we can't let it happen he'll talk through his ass (laughs) which is awesome uh your gun is digging into my hip and (laughs) (laughs) finkel is einhorn einhorn is finkel it's not necessarily uh it's a bit transphobic ladies and gentlemen but it was a different time in the 90s. So, 
Gary appeared as a fictionalized version of himself on the final episode of Gary Shandling's The Larry Sanders Show, in which he deliberately ripped into Shandling's character. In 1999, Carey had the lead role in Man on the Moon. He portrayed comedian Andy Kaufman to critical acclaim and received his second Golden Globe in a row, but again failed to be nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, this one seems kind of bullshit. Like the Truman Show? Okay, like yeah. maybe it wasn't like big-time Academy-worthy, but this one mm-hmm. feels like he should have at least got a nod. Yeah, he uh, for me, no, for I, me, and maybe it's maybe it's because like I honestly I don't think I saw it in 1999. I would have probably seen it many years later to be mm-hmm. honest, because I was like I don't care to see a Jim Carrey drama at the time. Yeah. No, like I get you that. know I just wanted to see him be a funny guy. Mm-hmm. So seeing it later and like I think I saw it after I heard like I kind of went a little crazy you know when mm-hmm. he when he took on the role he got, and I was like oh that's interesting okay I'm gonna now I really want to see this movie totally and then I saw it like oh my. Okay, I need to start showing people this movie. Yeah, no, for sure. It, and it's a good movie. Uh, I think he, unfortunately, was... Uh, again, I think... And, and Siskel and Ebert were guilty of it, too. Like, they just didn't like him. And then, eventually, yeah. I think when people started to realize, like, he was serious about his roles, like, they really started to pay attention to him and like the critics are like well we'll give him a chance if he'll cry about his grandma or something so um in 2000 carrie reteamed with the fairly brothers who were the guys that directed dumb and dumber uh for the black comedy film me myself and irene a film that received mixed reviews but enjoyed box office success carrie played the role of state so good it is so good it, it's silly in all the right ways, and he's charming. It, it, he, it's funny to watch because he's just as he aged, he aged gracefully. But like he, I remember at the time he kind of looked a little like my dad, and I remember thinking like, you didn't like him, and now you kind of look like him, and. <laughs> And, and um in your face yeah dad but like i always think of that scene where after he has sex he tries to pee in the bathroom and it's just going everywhere ah <laughs> uh, oh, i so i recently saw a clip where i think it might have been a director or producer someone on that clip or on the uh movie where he said that jim carrey improvised the kisses scene yeah. where, he's, where he's got the three sons. Yeah, because it would be <laughs> and, and, awkward and, as fuck to, yeah. <laughs> yes, and they just like, they didn't want to break for the clip, <laughs> so they all, and he's like, if you watch, if you watch, they like, you know, he almost gets Anthony Anderson to laugh and then they're like, the third guy to kiss him like really hesitates, but like, you know, and, and when you watch it, you're like, they all totally do, like, they, he almost got him right there with kisses. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, I love the guy. So, he... The same year, Carrie starred in the second highest grossing Christmas film of all time, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, playing the title character for which he received both praise and criticism from critics alongside a Golden Globe nomination. I will just tell you right now that it is the Grinch movie that gets played around the Cronulant household. Uh, The original's fine. Uh, The new animated one also is fine. Mm -hmm. 
this one is so good, man. Yeah. And and maybe I'm biased because it's Jim Carrey, but like amazing practical effects, first of all, which like he mm-hmm. apparently like took CIA torture training to be able to withstand getting it put on. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, it was such a better representation of the Grinch. Yes. That, you know, the original is the original. I get it. The nostalgia factor is there. I watched it growing up too, but this one just took it to a whole new level and made it like, it really brought it to life for me. And he got to play, you know, like he still got to be Jim his... Carrey spin on it. Exactly. Well, it's it's I think later on when we get to it, it's that same feeling I had when I watched uh Sonic the Hedgehog. It was like, oh, he's getting to be himself again. Like, this is great. Yeah. And it was nice to experience that with my kids. Now in 2004, Carrie starred in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I will say this right now. This is my favorite Jim Carrey movie of all time. It's in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I've watched this. This is a hard one to watch if you've ever went through a heartbreak. But man, during my divorce, I think I watched this like three or four times. And it was like, like yeah, other people have been through what I've what I'm going through. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, movie. Thanks, Jim. You've had heartbreak, too. And um, this film received critical acclaim upon re- release. Critics highly praised Carrie's portrayal of Joel Barish in addition to the performance of his co-star, Kate Winslet. Not an actress to, to, to look down on. She's fucking legendary. Who was nominated for an Oscar. According to CNN's reviewer Paul Clinton, Carrie's performance was the actor's best, most mature, and sharply focused performance ever. Carrie received another Golden Globe nomination and his first BAFTA Award nomination for Best Actor. Also, in 2004, he had his black comedy fantasy film Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, which was based on children's novels of the same name. Also really great. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because Doogie Howser, or what's his name, the actor that... Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris did the Netflix show. And I, every yeah, time, which was also great, but yeah, it's different. It, it, it's hard to hold a candle. Yeah, I think totally. Jim Carrey really, really did it well. That same year, Carrey was inducted into the Canadian Walk of Fame. In 2005, Carrey starred in the remake of Fun with Dick and Jane with Tia Leone, which grossed 200 million with a profit of 100 million dollars. Whoa! It made that much money. Mm-hmm. That's my. It's a fine one. film. Yeah, yeah, like it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, you know. But I wasn't like, "Whoa, man, this is Jim Carrey at his finest." I mean, we didn't really touch on it so much, but like Bruce Almighty is a go-to for me too. Like, oh, a hundred. I mean, to this day, if someone's talking, one of my kids are talking too fast, I always go. Subscribe to the YouTube so you can watch Jesse do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but also, like, I don't. I think it got kind of shit on through and through. But the majestic is yes. It's a. It's, I like the majestic. It's a good movie, man. It, he's he's good in drama. He's good in comedy. But we're gonna get to this is where people kind of cite him having a bit of a down. Uh, Joel Schumacher, the guy that directed Batman Forever, also R.A.P., uh, he reunited with for the number 23, 
in 2007, a psychological thriller co-starring Virginia Madsen and Danny Houston. In the film, Carrie plays a man who becomes obsessed with the number 23. After finding a book about a man with the same obsession, the film was panned by critics. The following year, Carrie provided his voice for Dr. Seuss's uh, uh, Horton Hears Who. 2008, Carrie voiced Horton the Elephant for the CGI animated feature, which was a box office success, grossing over $290 million worldwide. No wonder we have so many cartoon CGI movies. These things just yeah. print fucking money. Yeah. I, but, I, but I'm pretty sure they cost a lot of money to make, too. They do. They do. I mean, that CGI is no joke. I mean, obviously, yeah. video games soft like those the only thing that sucks about cg is it doesn't necessarily age great i don't know if you've watched the first toy story it's still great but it's like you can feel you really feel it now yeah no i 100 percent know what you're saying but you know i think another thing with the with the cg movies and them making a lot of money is they don't have to get everybody in the same place you know they can send the script over to queen latifah or whatever and she can record it at whatever studio she wants and They'll give her notes and she'll run back and they don't ever have to be together, but they can put all their names up at the top of the the movie poster, you know, and it brings the people in and you can, you can tell a lot of times because like I, I have a seven and a nine year old daughter. So for the past about decade, I've been consuming children's, you know, media mm-hmm. and uh, these, these movies are always just, either like really flat and you can tell like, Oh, they weren't together when they recorded it. And there's times where it just feels so tight and so good. And you're like, ah, it feels like one of those studios where they almost for sure. And then you'll look it up later and you'll see that like, that's exactly true. That like those, the CG movies that really like stand the test of time, the people record it together. They all hang out. The ones that are just the big money grabs and they usually make the money just fine because everybody's going to see it. But they just fall so flat. It's, it's just everybody in their parts of the world recording their part. No one to bounce off of. Adam, uh, you, as someone who's been watching a lot of cartoons the last uh, few years, I no, I get it. It's like why does record Sean, together, everybody? Adam, you, you got to put down your fucking margarita mixer there, man. You can hear it during your vocal <laughs> takes. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm hearing Maui right now. Also, shout out to any Hawaiian listeners. Uh, Jesus, scary out there. We just yeah. had a tornado in Michigan. Woo! Yeah, man. I'm just uh, learning about uh, southern humidity. I've only been here for Dude. two and a half months, and I am, and I'm an Amazon delivery guy now. Oh, oh, wow, nice. You guys, yeah. So I'm just like, you guys work. And your your hours are they pretty good? Like, I actually really like it. I work four ten hour days, okay. and my my uh, the company that I because you know Amazon just contracts DSP mm-hmm. like so I work for a different I work for a logistics company who has us drive Amazon vans. Nice. And our the company I work for super kicks ass. They're super supportive and they really love us and uh, they treat us good. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I just got out of nursery route, uh, <laughs> and I'm taking now. I'm getting like the big boy route. Like today, I had 98 stops. Oh wow! And it, it you know, they're they're 10 hour. They're designed to be 10 hour days, and it took me nine and a half hours today. So it's about right. Hey, shout out to all our delivery drivers out there. 
doing the Lord's work. Yeah. She needs she needs all of her Amazon deliveries on time. Yeah, I did uh, the same city three days this week. Because basically, you know, we get a little spot. You do it. And I'm really learning a lot about people who orders a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. like, man, I've been to this house all three days. And today I'm delivering six packages. It's like, and I'm like, you know, ma'am, I, there's a CVS and a Walmart, right? I could see it. I can see it. Yeah, but that's a long walk. And uh, <laughs> I already got to walk to the fridge. Anyway, um, ladies and gentlemen, 2008, yes, man. Carrie played a man who signs up for a self-help program that teaches him to say yes to everything. That's starring uh, also Bradley Cooper and Zoe Deschanel. Oh, Zoe. Yeah. I think the tough part for me was seeing, like, Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. That's like... He's like 35 years old. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so great to work with you, Mr. Carrey. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, he was also in a great movie called I Love You, Philip Morris, premiering in January 2009 at the Sundance Film Festival before receiving a wide release in February 2010. Carrie played Stephen J. Russell, a con artist, imposter, and multiple prison escapee who falls in love with his fellow inmate, Philip Morris, played by Ewan McGregor. It is a really good movie. It's How could anything with Ewan McGregor be bad, first of all? Yeah. And then throw Jim Carrey into the mix. I know, They're like, it, and and I guess the two became really good good friends during that. For the first that's time, that's awesome. I want to hang out with them. That would be a great hang. I mean, yeah. I I would just be asking Owen, like Star Wars and Danny Boyle stories, and then Jim Carrey. I could just listen to talk for forever. I would. I would want to. I would want to know some deep cut information about the island because I love that movie. Yeah, it's you and McGregor movie. Well, <laughs> the island isn't. That's the one that um, uh, where there's like clones. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the first time in his career, Carrie portrayed multiple characters in Disney's 3D animated take on the classic Charles Dickens tale, A Christmas Carol, in 2009, voicing Ebenezer Scrooge and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, the film also starred Robin Wright Penn, Bob Hoskins, Colin Firth, Gary Oldman, and Carrie Elwes. The film received decent reviews and was a financial success. Carrie landed the lead role in Mr. Popper's Penguins in 2011, playing Tom Popper Jr., a a realtor who becomes the caretaker of a family of penguins. He starred... Cute. It's cute. Yeah, it's fun. There's some, some, some decent silliness to it he starred alongside former co-star steve carell in the directed comedy film the incredible burt wonderstone i feel like this is under this is an underrated movie yes it is and there's there's some fun like performances in it this is around the same time he appeared in kick-ass 2 as colonel stars and stripes he he also had a bit of a issue with this one because he retracted support for the film two months prior to its release. He issued a statement via his Twitter account that in light of the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting, now in all good conscience, I cannot support that level of violence. Huh. So he took his stand, and I appreciate that. 
He also all of the all of the people who were like, uh, "This is my first acting role. This movie Kick-Ass Two. I was in it with Jim Carrey. Man, it's so sweet. I think I'm going to get rich and famous." Jim Carrey's all, <laughs> I "No, I'm that. sorry. I already have a billion dollars, so yeah. I can do this." <laughs> I I get it though. I mean, crisis. I do get it. I do get it. Crisis of conscience and things like that. I can completely For sure. understand. And I also think that we're talking about like ten years ago. Is honestly, and this is coming from uh, someone who really loves the guy. Mm-hmm. This is when he was like at his weirdest. Yes, this was an era that was like I think he was struggling with the idea of his career, and he'd hit so many highs so early on. He'd already gone from comedy to drama. He'd gotten his accolades in drama. I mean, he could. I feel like, and 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 look, I'm not in charge of his life or anything like that. I'm just a fan. But I feel like this era is the era where it's like, yeah, whatever he wants to do, he can do, you know? And so he takes a lot of chances and that's totally cool. Um, He did take a chance and do a Dumb and Dumber sequel. And as a fan of Jim Carrey's, I've never seen it. I've never seen Dumb and Dumber Also, you know, there's a lot of sequels that I've skipped due to not wanting to be disappointed. Joe Dirt 2, never seen it. Super Troopers 2, haven't given it a pass. I haven't either. I was a very big, uh, I was a very big uh, supporter financially in Kickstarter for Super Troopers 2. Yeah. Never saw it. I get just it. Couldn't. I'm, never, I'm sure it's fine. I just, it, I've never, I don't need to. I've never seen The Thing prequel. The Thing is my favorite horror movie of all time. I played the video game. Loved it. Love the movie. Watch it every year around Halloween. But I can't, I just don't oh. want to watch the prequel. Because there's no CG in the original. It's all practical. Rob I'm o- with you. Rob Bottin would throw his beer at my head if I, if I watched it, I bet. We're, we, you know, speaking of generations who are things, we are the consummate white men our age to be like, what's with all the lack of practical effects in movies these days? <laughs> It's true. Get off my lawn with that CG creature. Quit using technology to make things cooler. I'll take my Yoshi 64 and you can go fuck with your fucking Avengers bullshit. Uh, I want, what is it? I want Stephen King in Creep Show, where he's got like the plants growing all over. Like that's what, that's what oh, I Jordy, want. Jordy, you've done it now. Um, <laughs> God, yeah, totally. I I agree. Um, it's true, guys. It just looks better. That's all. So yeah. he he does Dumb and Dumber two. It's released in twenty fourteen. Mixed reviews. Uh, March twenty thirteen. Carey announced that he had written a children's book titled "How Roland Rolls" about a scared wave named Roland. He described it as kind of a metaphysical children's story, which deals with a lot of heavy stuff in a really childish way. Carey self-published the book, which was released in September 2013. On March 25, 2013, Carey released a parody music video with Eels through Funny or Die, with Carey replacing Mark Oliver Everett on vocals. The song and video titled Cold Dead Hand and set as a musical act during the variety program Hee Haw lampoons American gun culture and specifically former NRA spokesman Charlton Heston. Oh, boy. Dude, I, I grew up in a family that watched Yeehaw. <laughs> oh, God. 
Oh boy. That's a, that's a throwback folks. You, you can Google that one if you want. Also Charlton Heston, RAP, uh, I guess. Um, Carrie delivered the commencement address at Marahashi university of management in Fairfield, Iowa in May, 2014 and received an honorary doctorate for his achievements as a comedian, artist, author, and philanthropist. Now I will say, and I might play it at the end. Um, he has some excellent, excellent speeches, and he's he's a smart guy. I mean, a guy. These are the people. Like I always say this to people, and I think I said it the other day to um, a friend of mine. But when it comes to the world right now, it, it can be such a divisive place online, and even in uh, family gatherings. Um, I always say, think for yourself, and really found your opinions on your own you know you speak to the the people who've lived the lives and i appreciate those videos of that those those mock-ups on youtube of of um people like jim carrey speaking on you know life because i i go to my elders when i when it comes to any decision i make if i did yeah we were saying er, we were saying earlier like he's lived a life yes you know like people people like that whether they were in movies or you know they were your grandpa who went to war or your grandpa who was a mechanic for 40 years like these people have seen more of the world than you and that doesn't mean necessarily that they'll always be wiser Right. The people who experience a lot gain a lot of wisdom. Totally, totally. Um, in June 2017, Showtime began airing the dramedy I'm Dying Up Here, for which Carrie served as the executive producer. The show, which chronicles a group of stand-up comics in the 1970s, Los Angeles, Los Angeles incorporates aspects of Carrie's own experience. In September of that year, the same network announced that he would be starring in a comedy series titled Kidding, which will would reunite Carrie and director Michael Gondry. By the end of 2017, it was announced that Catherine Keener would star opposite Carrie in Kidding. Catherine Keener. That's awesome. I, I, other than like when it was first coming out mm-hmm. and, the, and the teasers were coming, that's really all I've seen of the show. I think now that it's no longer airing, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, no, I, I that that's this is definitely something I'm going to go back to. Uh, Carrie was... Also the subject of two documentaries in 2017. The first, a short subject entitled I Needed Color about his lifelong passion for art was released online in the summer. Later that year, another documentary, uh, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton, premiered at the uh, Venice Film Festival and was later picked up by Netflix. Now that I have seen. The film chronicles the -the behind-the-scenes drama during the shooting of Man on the Moon when he never broke character as Andy Kaufman. It incorporates footage that was shot for the film's electronic press kit, but ultimately was pulled by Universal as they felt that it was too damaging. You know, I, I, in that documentary, they I remember his Andy Kaufman's sister speaking about, like, it, it was Andy. He was Andy. It was like she... She, she like it made her cry. They cried together. Like that's what mm-hmm. like seeing him like that and the way he was acting. Like it, she was like it was like I had my brother back for a day. And I, I just thought that was so. It was very moving. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I like documentaries a lot, and I like that one because it in life it's all gray, man. It's not 
the it's not necessarily it was the worst ever oh my god everybody died and and the world ended and christmas was canceled or it was the best ever like everybody came and the world opened up and we all got cookies like it's it's a gray thing you know like there's 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 bumps and bruises but there's some good to be had of the reality and i that that story is is great like that's awesome and and that's you know there's a guy speaking of robin williams who did this amazing uh short where he played it was called robin and there's an actor and i'm not doing it justice i'll i'll post it on our social medias but uh this guy does this robin williams impersonation that's so good that it made me miss him and want this guy to do a biopic like nobody's business but i think the robin williams estate got it pulled unfortunately but it it was so Uh good it was like uncanny he was nailing him like his impersonation of robin williams williams so good it was like him doing morkin in his trailer and finding out that john belushi had died one of his friends and his conversation with his co-actress about like you need to knock off the, and like after that he had gotten sober. It's it's a fascinating wow. little thing, and if I can find it online, because it's one of those things that was so good that it, it was constantly getting re-uploaded and trending. Uh, and I I, I apologize because I don't know that it's it's a character actor guy online, and he did a Han Solo one too, like Proof of Concepts. He does these amazing impressions, but um. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But basically, like, you, it, it's fascinating to see these people behind the scenes. And he, I think at the time he was, he, and he said this about the 90s in interviews, like, there was no Jim Carrey. There was just this larger-than-life persona, you know? Yeah. Um. And then we're going to get from June of 2018, Carrie was cast as Dr. Robotnik, the main antagonist of the Sonic the Hedgehog video game series in a film adaptation of the franchise. The film was released in February 2020 to positive reviews. Wow. A month before COVID. Carrie's portrayal of Robotnik was praised with some considering it one of his best performances in years. Carrie returned for Sonic the Hedgehog 2, released in April 2022, which grossed $72 million at the box office in its opening weekend to give Carrie the best opening of his career to date. In 2020, Carrie published Memoirs and Misinformation. In September, during the final stages of the 2020 U.S. presidential election, it was announced that Carrie would portray, portray presidential nominee Joe Biden on the 46th season of Saturday Night Live, which it's great. Perfect. It's really funny. Taking over the role from Jason Sudeikis, Woody Harrelson, and John Mulaney. However, Carrie's high-energy comedy style clashed with real-life Biden's low-key persona, producing an imitation that lacked authenticity and failed to impress viewers and critics. Boo. On December 19, 2020, (laughs) Carrie announced that he would step down from playing Biden on Saturday Night Live, stating that he had a six-week deal. Cast member Alex Mofax succeeded Carrie in portraying Biden during the cold open of the episode hosted by Kristen Wiig at the same day. Carrie appeared as the narrator of the Weekend album Dawn FM, released on 7 January 2022. Interesting. In April 2022, Carrie announced that he was considering retirement from the film industry, explaining, quote, 
I have enough. I've done enough. I am enough. When asked if he would ever come back, his response was, quote, it depends if the angels bring some sort of script that's written in gold ink that says to me that it's going to be really important to people to see, I might continue down the road, but I'm taking a break. I mean, he's literally been working nonstop his whole life. True. I mean, there's been some amazing people that have kind of stepped aside and like Gene Hackman's one of my favorite old timey actors and he's been off. I mean, he's still alive. He's in his nineties. He's just going to like some local. Greasy oh yeah. Store. I loved him and welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> I think that was the role where he was like, I'm, fu- I'm done. That's it. I'm out. <laughs> Fuck this Hollywood bullshit. He's like, yeah, who's this? Who's this Ray Romano? Fuck. Yeah. this guy sucks. That's it. I retire. Uh, no, like that's Jim Carrey, ladies and gentlemen. What a guy. Woo! What a guy. See any of the movies we talked about. He's Literally in- any of them. Because yeah. the worst of them are good enough to get you either A, a couple laughs if you're watching the comedy, mm-hmm. or like none of, I feel like none of his dramas are, even for people who wouldn't like them, you know, there's plenty of movies that uh, I do the classic husband thing where my wife will start a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, do you want to watch it? I'm like, no. And then I'm standing in the hallway and then I'm leaning on the back of the couch. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, suddenly I'm, I'm sitting down. And I'm, so I feel like all of his movies are that way. Like, you can sit and you can watch them and you mm-hmm. can, you know, you're going to get through it and be like, oh, it wasn't maybe my favorite thing ever, but that was, that was a really good, you know, solid movie. Yeah, and so whether that's his comedies or his dramas, any any movie you listed is is worth a watch at least once. Totally, and and it's and if he's not in it a lot, at least when he's on screen, you can tell like he he's got charisma. He's he there's something that pulls you to him, and like I said, he's he's you may have your issues with Carrie, and if you're the old timey guy, that's like. He's no, you know, he's no Dean Martin, like his mom. Uh, well, watch a Dean Martin movie. You know, that's what I say to people who complain about things. Well, watch what you like. Listen to what you like. Yeah. Stop complaining. You're taking up. Not hard. You, we have streaming services now. You don't even have to like, oh, this comes on at 8 p.m. What are we going to watch until then? If you're First up, world problem, guys. It's right. Just don't watch it. Exactly. No, instead watch twitch.tv slash cromulent Jesse for his throwback. That's, that's where I'm hanging out. His throwback programming where he talks about years and decades and plays trailers and talks to Yeah, next next week, uh, well, depending on when this will this air. Is, but this sometime is coming out tomorrow. <laughs> I love your style. <laughs> so uh, this week uh, I'll be coming back and getting back into normal streams and there'll probably be at least two a week. And one of those, uh, every week will be, yeah. Like Ryan was saying, a nostalgia stream where we pick a year, we go through some music videos or songs from that year and some movie trailers. And we all go, damn, I need to watch that again. And Mm -hmm. none of us ever watch it again. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Damn. I need to see the number 23. Probably not. Yes. And, uh, of course, Coming uh, the first Friday of October, the Serial Chillers are back. The break is over. And our big announcement was that we're going to be 
changing things just slightly where there'll still be a weekly show, but the game show now is every two weeks. Mm. And Greg and I will have a more like, I guess like updates and corrections uh, weekly. So you'll still nice. get, you know, a weekly episode, but there will no longer be breaks. There were no, no more season breaks in the show. We're going to be able to keep it rolling. And this is going to allow us to do that. So uh, this is, a, we're ending the last serial chillers break right now too. Nice. Ever. They'll be back, folks. So Yeah, ser- and SerialChillersPod.com. It has all of our information links. You can find us there. Well, sweet. Well, thanks for coming on, my dude. You're always a pleasure Absolutely. to have you, and I, I'm a big fan of you. I just sent you your shirt and, and your stuff, so you'll be getting that. I said Monday. So Thank you. You'll just have well, to. Well, likewise, I also love to come on to episodes that you tell me will take an hour and then we take two. Uh, I take personal pride in doubling the amount of time you thought things were going to last. Uh, I hope it never ends. Hey, <laughs> I hope every time we do it, it does it, does it that way. I, I do too. But the thing is, I think it shows that we're buds and we can talk about things and we're from the same era. And, and henceforth, we would talk about Jim Carrey for a good close to two hours. And that's fine. Cause you're you're my buddy. So, all right, man. Well, I'm gonna let you go. This has been our episode. Check us out on Instagram dot com slash zanzizi underscore podcast. Also, if you have an episode suggestion, zanzizi podcast at gmail dot com. Check us out on the Discord. We have been doing things with that slowly and surely. We add people and people come in, and sometimes I add bots that I'm confused about. You should join the Serial Chillers uh, Discord because they have a Bart Simpson bot, and that's the coolest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of growing up, I'll, in the I'll teach you my ways. Yeah, there you go. He helps. It does help. And uh, also, please rate and review and uh, five stars, five twinkly stars. More episodes to come. Season one will end end of November and we'll be on hiatus from December to January and back with season two. And all the guests you know and love. And uh, we'll have to have Jesse back because we love him. So be my honor. All right, my dude. Well, you take care, and uh, that has been your episode. Have a great one, ladies and gentlemen. You might recognize this song as performed by Jefferson Airplane in a little rockumentary called Give Me Shelter about the Rolling Stones and their nightmare at Altamont. That night, the Oakland chapter of the Hells Angels had their way. Tonight, it's my turn. One, two, three! When the truth is found
This has been a presentation of Beer City Media.